Welcome to the Sword and Laser Podcast. I'm Veronica Belmont. And I'm Tom Merritt. Sword and Laser is a book club, but it is so much more. We bring you author interviews, news from the world of sci-fi and fantasy, and of course, awesome discussions from fans like you. In fact, our show is currently funded entirely by sales of the Sword and Laser Anthology... As well as viewers like you. No, we actually fund the show uh, through selling some things in our store, swordandlaser.com slash store, including the anthology, but also Patreon, patreon.com slash swordandlaser. Thank you to all the folks who back our show. And if you would like to support the show, head on over to swordandlaser.com slash, I'm sorry, patreon.com slash swordandlaser, where maybe your funds will help pay for a better clip to keep this little wire behind my head. Are you having issues? Are you having technical oh, difficulties? There. A second. You can see you can see my wires showing. And my lights just flickered. Did you see that? No, I didn't see anything. Oh man, we're having a storm right now. I hope the power doesn't go out. That'd be crazy. Or ghosts. We're spooky ghosts. <laughs> um, Tom, what are you drinking? I'm drinking a wine that my brother sent me for Christmas. He said it was okay to open it before, so I'm not, you know violating any trusts here. It's called Forgotten Fire, 1871. Uh, it's from Michigan, I think. He lives in Wisconsin, but I think it's like right across the border. And it's a Cabernet Merlot blend. They say it goes great with your favorite steak, but I think it goes pretty good with sword and laser. Uh, it's <laughs> it very, great very, with your favorite podcast. Yeah, exactly. It's very, it's very Cabernet-y, even though it's got some Merlot in it. It's pretty strong. I like it. It's good. Excellent. I'm drinking a Greyhound this evening um, solely because my friend Sam came to stay with us and he bought um, some some uh, grapefruit juice, which I never have in the house and never drink, but it was there and I'm like, what can I make with, with, uh, with uh, grapefruit juice? I'm like, Greyhound. Yeah. So four ounces of uh, grapefruit juice, two ounces of vodka. I'm supposed to garnish it with a lemon or a lime. I didn't do that today because I don't have those things right now. Um, but yeah, it's it's not bad. I actually should have added more vodka. That is my problem. That's usually your excuse mm -hmm. for things. Not enough mm -hmm. vodka. Mm -hmm. So looks pretty good though. It looks pretty fresh and tasty. It's refreshing, light and fruity, yeah. just like me. Um, <laughs> But we are also doing a live Google Hangout right now, so if you are in the audience and want to ask us any questions while the show is happening, uh, turn on your Q&A app and post away. Mm, I can we're see getting some questions, questions popping too. up already. Uh, Luis wants to know, what are the pictures on the wall behind me? Those are my uh, wonderful Picard art. So this one is Picard punching he who shall not be named. And behind me, it's Picard punching Cthulhu. And I don't remember who made them. Someone Picard. made them for me. They're Picard. Yeah. And I have to go back and look through my emails, uh, but it was years ago, and, and I just thought the art was wonderful. And I've had it for years, and I love it. Um, but I will try to find out who made them so I can put a link in the show notes. Don't call it a comeback. She's had those for years. <laughs> I don't get that. I don't get it. Oh, Cool J reference. Mama I, well, I get, I get the, the reference. I don't get how the reference applies. Because you've had them for years. That's why. Oh... Okay. Doesn't make sense is what you're trying to say. Which That's is what true. I'm trying to convey <laughs> to you. Yes. Um, so we'll just we'll just move on. We'll jump right into the quick burns. Ow. 
So we have a post from Tomahome, Mr. Tomahome, who says, Gotta love the NPR filter tool for the best books of 2014. Hat tip to Jenny. And if you haven't seen this tool before, they've been doing it for a really long time. It is superb. If you are looking for any books to read, which you probably are not because, I mean, <laughs> I mean, we give you such great recommendations already. I don't know why. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know why you would possibly need any more book recommendations. Actually, there's some pretty good books that we haven't mentioned on this list. Shut up. Uh, I've mentioned The Bone Clocks by David Mitchell. He's the guy who wrote Cloud Atlas because I'm reading that right now. Uh, but Aviary Wonders, Inc. by Kate Samworth. I don't think we've mentioned that one before. Uh, Rules of Summer by Sean Tan. Mm, the Inheritance Trilogy by Martian and Jemison. And stuff, but, you know. mm -hmm. Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. Now, I know I've put this on the calendar at swordandlaser.com slash calendar because uh, I see it all the time. I'm not sure we've talked about it. Uh, it's a uh, feel-good romp, says Matt Thompson. That sounds like a trick. But for a post-apocalyptic novel, aha, it is ah, a trick. <laughs> it's a trick, I told you. I can't do it a trick. <laughs> the, ooh, Bailey. The Tropic of Serpents, the next uh, memoir by Lady Trent, uh, is also on this list. Yeah, um, yeah. The new William Gibson. There's a lot of great stuff. And I just love the layout because you can mouse over things and get the full recommendation from who picked it. And uh, you can browse by year. You can do uh, staff picks. So there's a ton of stuff. There's even a book club idea section. Um, so you can filter through sci-fi fantasy, then through book club. We haven't read any of these books for the book club. But we maybe we Ed's will. Name. Maybe you should pick well, one, but not, not for the... Justice, not Ed's That Lake's wasn't a book club idea pick by NPR, though. That's what I'm saying. I, I have I filtered see. down through the list to what they think would be good book pick. Well, good. Picks. We need to, you know, people might want to be part of both clubs. Mm -hmm. So there's that. There's that. Uh, Shad posted in our Quick Burns section. By the way, we don't thank you enough for the people who are getting in there in that Quick Burns thread on Goodreads and giving us these great stories. Uh, you guys are amazing. Thank you. Tamahome Daniel, Shad, uh, and all the other people who, who post in there. Uh, he says, interesting ruling on DRM. It might not hold up on appeal, but it would be great if stripping DRM to make a backup of books you bought stopped being illegal. Now, he's referring to an antitrust case between Abbey House and Simon and & Schuster, uh, Judge Denise Cote dismissed some charges in a case uh, because she ruled that if the Abbey House publisher told people that DRM stripping software existed, that was not a violation of the Digital Millennium Copyright Act. Now, why is that important and what do those words mean? Let me try to break it down. The DMCA in the United States says that it is illegal for you to circumvent copyright protection for any reason, right? Unless it's given an exemption by the Library of Congress. That's a whole separate hmm. situation. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, the Library of Congress every three years puts out exemptions that says, well, you can circumvent it for this and this and this and this. Uh, but otherwise, it's against the rules. So what Simon & Schuster had complained about was that Abbey House, when they went out of business, said, hey, everybody, we're going out of business. We know what, that when we turn our servers off, your eBooks won't work anymore, right? Because they won't be able to validate. So you should know that there is a plugin for Caliber that will allow you to strip DRM off your books, period. Mm -hmm. They didn't instruct them how to do it. They didn't tell them where to find it. They did link to Caliber, uh, but Caliber itself isn't infringing. Caliber is like 
is, is a piece of software that doesn't strip DRM. You can get a plug-in for it. Anyway, the whole point being that Simon & Schuster said, they're inducing people to infringe, and the judge said, no, they're not. They're just telling them something exists, uh, and that's not inducement. So she dismissed, dismissed charges of contributory infringement, ruling the publishers didn't have a case because they couldn't point to any specific example of actual infringement, which would be cracking the DRM and uploading the copies. Mm -hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Although I'm very, I feel surprised that they ruled that way. I yeah. feel like just like the the current the mood about DRM would lead me to believe that they would say, no, no, you're telling people how to break the DRM, therefore yeah. you're in violation. Here's what she wrote. Uh, There's no question Abbey House encouraged the removal of DRM protection. The act of infringement underlying the inducement claim, however, is not the removal of DRM protection. Rather, it is the copying and distribution of ebooks to others after such protection has been removed. The counterclaim does not allege that Abbey House encouraged such infringing acts. So she's saying, hey, Abbey House wasn't saying, and then copy these and give them to your friends. Abbey House was saying, you can use this thing to remove the DRM so you can use the copy you paid for. In which case, she's like, that, that, that's okay. You're well, saying does that somebody... fall under like, the personal use act? It kind of does. She's basically saying the fact that there's a fair use defense to the infringement afterwards means that the inducement is fine, which is really weird. Usually courts have said, nope, if you're inducing copyright uh, circumvention that it's probably for the purposes of distribution, therefore it's illegal. And she's like, no, it's very clearly not for distribution. It's very clearly because this company's going out of business and she's, they just want their customers to be able to use the things they purchased and she's like, that's perfectly fine. That's great. Good. What it doesn't do though, in case you're starting to jump to that conclusion, it does not actually make stripping the DRM legal for the people who do it. It makes it legal for Abby House to tell them they... <laughs> <laughs> to tell them they, how to do it. Yeah, it actually doesn't make it legal necessarily to strip it. Oh man, it's such a, it's such a, it's such baloney. Yeah, uh, there's a related thread by Eric too about uh, the the push for an exemption because somebody said, well, so this means that you know, wait, I thought eBooks were already exempt from the DMCA. They're not. The only thing that relating eBooks that's exempt from the DMCA is stripping DRM so that screen readers can make them accessible to blind readers, uh, and they have to fight every three years to keep that exemption. Gotcha. Well, that is, I, I'm glad you covered that on DTNS because that is more words than I could possibly say about that particular story. So I appreciate <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's the, the copyright laws are just so torturous, um, if, if not tortuous, because mm -hmm. they involve courts sometimes. All right, well, moving on, we have a post from Daniel who says, Something I've noticed in my own personal tastes, all the best new books I've been reading have been firmly in the fantasy genre. For my sci-fi fix, I've definitely been in comics and manga. So that's interesting, and this is uh, related to a post over on The Verge that he linked to, uh, which says, quite frankly, the best science fiction right now is happening in comics. According and to Andrew Webster. According to this guy at The Verge. Um, and he goes on to list a bunch of really great examples um, you know, including Saga, uh, Destiny being a game, though. That's actually, is he talking about the video game, too? I jumped around yeah, a little bit. So, yeah. yeah, I think he's talking about how it's coming out. There's there's lots of other things in other other categories in sci-fi, too, that are doing really well, like, like uh, oh, Titanfall and Destiny, both, you know, heavily in the science fiction genre. Um, 
even classic civilization, as he says, has moved into space with civilization um, beyond Earth. Uh, which Private I ha- Eye, created with artist Marco Martin, is another one he, he cites here. And I think that's that's pretty cool. Um, you know, I really I want to get into comic books and graphic novels, and that's not really an area that I've spent too much time looking around in. But I know it's always been a huge. I mean, even something like the X Men, that's pretty sci-fi. Like that's definitely more yeah, sci-fi Guardians to me than Galaxy. fantasy. Guardians of the Galaxy is a space opera for sure. Um, and there's tons of other examples that I can't name because I just don't read them all that much, but I know they're out there. You know, what's funny is I, I love reading science fiction. I mean, that's why we started this podcast, because I love reading science fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but when I read comics, I don't tend to read sci-fi comics for some reason. I read, like, The Walking Dead, which is about zombies, or Irredeemable, which is, you know, superheroes flipped on its head, or Why the Last Man, uh, which I guess is a little bit sci-fi. It's post-apocalyptic, but... It's, yeah, yeah, it's interesting have, to me. They have a quote in this article, too. If you're curious what kinds of sci-fi movies and shows Hollywood be, will be making <laughs> in 10 or 15 years, I'd look at what Image Comics is publishing today. Yeah, for sure. That's a, that's a, that's a good quote. If, if comic book movies remain popular, which they might, uh, then that's definitely what's going to be true. I have a feeling they probably will. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I would put my money on that. I'd put my money on that. I'd put my movie draft money on that. People will burn out on them, though. You know, they, you burn out on genres after a while, but maybe but, not. But, I mean, to say a comic book movie, it's a genre, but it's also, there's genres within that genre. I hear people saying, I'm kind of tired of comic book movies, right? But you're right. You could have a comic book movie that's not about superheroes, and then maybe what they're burned out on is superhero stories for a while or something like that. Or, like, maybe you're burnt out on, yeah, on Spider-Man, but you're still really into Batman, which has a totally different feel, or something like that, you know? Or Guardians of the Galaxy, which is totally different than X-Men in tone and shooting style, and um, there's so many differences between the different uh, properties. Yeah. All righty. Sci-fi author Neil Stevenson has joined Magic Leap, which, if you haven't heard about, is a mysterious startup. Uh, there's lots of rumors flying around about what it is. What we know is that it's some kind of virtual reality slash augmented reality situation. And uh, Neil Stevenson wrote a blog post on the Magic Leap site today, said, I've become chief futurist at Magic Leap because their product pretty much kicks ass. Uh, He says, Magic Leap aims to, quote, produce a synthesized light field that falls upon the retina in the same way as light reflected from the real objects in your environment. Hmm. So forget Google Glass. This is going to project light into your eye so that when you look and you see like an avatar of somebody standing there, it'll be like they're actually standing there. That seems to be what he's saying. It's in your eye. So how how far away is that from just implanting something in my brain so it just tricks my mind into seeing something instead of just flashing light into it? It's not that far. It's just easier. And, and it's not, <laughs> yeah. that's not to say it's easy. It's actually difficult. So if Magic Leap really cracked this, it's huge. But then like actually hacking into your brain is even more difficult. And they had something like... To, I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but I think it's like $250 million in funding, something like that, and i got to wonder how much they're paying Neil Stevenson to be an advisor like that, well, to be head futurist. i got to I mean, know. This reminds me a little bit of the, um, oh, what's it called? The Segway, before the Segway came out, right? Mm-hmm. Dean Kamen was going around showing this to people, and then you were hearing quotes from people like, this is amazing. Like, Steve Jobs was like, we, so whole cities will be re-architected around this. 
And the Segway, you know, it's it's around. Does yeah, thing. It's still, I still see cops on it. Yeah. <laughs> we really haven't re-architected whole cities around it. Uh, so I'm hoping that Neil Stevenson is, is as critical as I like to think he is mm-hmm. uh, because it, it, he is very critical. He is, is not easily enthused about something. So if he's really getting enthusiastic about this, it goes a long way for me to go, well, maybe this isn't a segue. Maybe this is actually a real cool thing. Well, I guess that's part of the reason why I'm curious how much they're paying him because if they're... <laughs> I mean, I trust Oh, uh, you're saying Neil has a price. Everybody's got a price. Everybody's got a price. <laughs> Sorry, I probably shouldn't say that in public. But, I mean, I want to believe that this thing is as cool as... You know, I want to believe Neil Stevens doesn't have want- a price. But you're probably right. Yes. Everybody does. I don't know. I don't know. I can't imagine that Magic Leap could pay Neil Stevens at his price. I'll put it that way. Okay. I think I his mean, price would have to be pretty high. It's and it cool. also I makes mean, sense it, to me because remember we've talked about how Neil... Uh, he's into big and, ideas. He's done whole talks about big ideas. Well, and they did Clang. The Subutai Corporation did Clang. Well, they, which was did, a, they did not. They, they, attend, they, they shipped the prototype. It, it didn't work out. They had to cancel it. But... He's got a lot of research and work done in an area that's not too terribly far from this. Plus, Snow Crash. I mean, that we're, we're beating around the bush. The reason, if I'm Magic Leap, that I hired Neil Stevenson is like, we're building the thing you described in Snow Crash. Yes, but this is a fantastical thing that he described. He's not an engineer or a programmer or, I mean... No, that's why he's chief futurist. You know. He's because, the, uh, what's and, and that the guy in AOL's name? What's that guy? Shingy? Yeah, Shingy. He's the... Yeah. Um, you know who I'm talking about? No. Oh my God! How do you not know who Shingy is? Mm. He's this crazy. He's like conceptual AOL guy, and he goes okay. on all the talk shows and talks about the future, and ah, he's hilarious gotcha. um, and very strange. Well, um, what Neil what Neil Stevenson described in his post was that his job would be to come up with compelling use cases for the mm-hmm. technology. That's awesome. I can, okay, I can see that. that is super cool. Now I want that job. Totally. Can I have that job? I don't no. have a price. Neil you Stevenson guys can just already... pay me whatever. Just pay Your me price pizza. is low? Is that what you're saying? My price is really low. Like super, like, I'll take whatever you've got. Veronica Belmont's integrity must go. We're practically giving it away. <laughs> the price has dropped out of Veronica Belmont. <laughs> it's the Veronica Belmont Integrity President's Day Sale. <laughs> Oh, crazy flapping arms, man. Everything must go. All of Veronica's integrity. You can't see this if you're watching the audio show. That. I want to see like a flea market of like really respected individuals' integrity up for sale, like Stephen Hawking, mm-hmm. Neil deGrasse Tyson. I think Hawking is more expensive than Neil deGrasse Tyson. Everything must go. Even Hawking's on sale. <laughs> We've got Hawking's. We've got... DeGrasse Tyson's. I wasn't sure how to do that. <laughs> Two last names and not his middle name, right? I want to say Maya Angelou, and the only reason I want to say that is because I watched the year in 2014 searches thing where they, you know, reminded us that she passed away. So you can't sell her integrity. You can't sell her. It's 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 Too late. there's no price on that, Tom. Nope. Can't sell a dead person's integrity. Anyway, what my grandfather used to say. That's what he said all the time. Never is that said what he that. said. Never said that once. Never, not even. And a he'd be quite time. upset if he knew that I was saying that. But he is also dead. So. Wow, this has gone into a dark place. <laughs> Let's move you know, on I'm really to. Horrible. I'm really horrible about talking about dead people because I have no boundaries, even with my own family members. So I should stop right now. You should. You should maybe stop that. 
<laughs> Should maybe getting some uh, messages in here in the uh, Q and A section. I'm the very sure. They're asking for our integrity prices, I think. I think that's Oh, okay. No, yeah. not really. We'll All right, yes. Our agent get back to you. It is time for Barrier Sword, which is our feedback from the audience. So we have a post from Scott, and uh, he wants to know, or he's talking about uh, 2014 book themes. He says, after finishing the December pick, which was the Night Circus, um, it seemed like stories and myths were a strong theme in a number of this year's readings. The Night Circus, the Einstein Intersection, the Name of the Wind, and Ale of the Unseen hmm. all deal with stories and myths. Focusing on both the power and tale shared, and then those who tell them reliable or both addressing what makes a good story and what does that mean. Maybe part of it is just the post-everything these days where books are often trying to be meta more than in the past. Maybe it's also background thinking from editing the Sword and Laser anthology and then doing their own writing, Cat Assassins, bleeding into the choices. Are there other themes anyone else sees that tied together some of the books when you look back over the 2014 reading list? This is nice. It's a little introspective. Yeah, part of me wants to be like, oh, you know what, yeah, I was thinking about this during the year of like, oh, that's an interesting theme. It is interesting how authors will often bring up books as important pieces of their plots because they're lovers of books because they're authors and they like to write books. Um, but part of what I think Scott's describing is just fantasy. I mean, fantasy as a genre deals with stories and myths. And I know the Einstein intersection and Elif the Unseen are, you know, outside of just the, the straight realm of fantasy, but there's fantasy elements to both of those. I think it's kind of hard for me to look back and find a common thread between the books, you know, because then then John and, and uh, um, Tazzy Dave, ha, I said it right, Tazzy, Tazzy Dave, oh, ha, because he always says we're never going to say it right because it rhymes like something else. Razzie or something like that. Not anyway, Lassie. not Lassie. It's not like Lassie. That's what I remembered. Um, but they, you know, they were kind of thinking about all the different books, and it's, it's. I think it's kind of hard to to make a comparison between all of them. You know, they they really span the genres. They really kind of, you know, we we pick some different ones, some atypical ones, and some very typical ones. So I think it, yeah. it's easy to find the similarities where you look at something like A Wizard of Earthsea with The Name of the Wind, even, because they're both kind of, you know, chosen one stories, for example. Yeah, right. And there, there are certain things that are going to be similar amongst science fiction stories, like, I don't know, space. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, often, just because of the genre. Um, so you, so I don't know. I, I'm fascinated, though, if there's a subconscious thread. I like this idea that Scott put forward, that there might be some subconscious thread uh, going because through. Of our, because yeah, of our yeah. personalities or whatever. Something like that, yeah. Hmm. Well, now I'm going to even think more about it, probably. like when. Do you have a book picked out for January? No, but news on that coming shortly. Okay, well, after we'll cover this that. Segment. <laughs> after these messages, we'll, we'll be right, right back. back. But let's look forward. Alex posted reading in 2015 and said, is it too soon to ask what people's 2015 reading goals and ideas are? Have you settled on a Goodreads goal for next year? Are you planning to read more classics or expand your genre? Uh, John said, I plan to continue reading what I like <laughs> and to schedule <laughs> no more than a few books in advance at any time. I'm with John. That's what I, I don't really set reading goals because I've already got one book a month 
uh, with Sword and Laser. And now I, I'm part of a real-life book club of just a few people, so that's another book on top of it. And I still want to be able to just pick stuff. Uh, but I, I, I'm not saying it's bad to pick goals. I think it's really cool. Uh, Trike said, I kind of feel like Pinky in the Brain this time every year. Same as it is every year, Pinky. We try to read the world. <laughs> I'm currently four books behind schedule. I'm not going to make it. Um, I've read 24 out of 30. Last year, I did 26 out of 25, so I was one book over. So I read 26 total, and I I think I'm going to make it exactly to 26 this year, too. Holy cow, Sky. Do you see Sky? No. Sky has already planned out books through June. Like all the books that they're going to read? Yeah. Uh, January 6th, Firefight. January 13th, The Providence of Fire. February oh 10th, The Autumn Republic. February 10th, Scott Meyer and Unwelcome Quest. Then Half the World, Rebirths of the Tau, uh, of Rebirths of Tau, but, The Skull Throne, The Grace of Kings. How are going to find time to read our books? Are you going to read two books in a month? I don't know. That's pretty awesome. And also... Scott didn't us. Let's just put her, <laughs> lay it out there right now. Wow. Scott's got it, got it locked. Got it locked down. Would it be wrong to change my reading goal for the year to 26 books so I meet my goal? Um, I, I don't know. I <laughs> Is think, that wrong? Are you a time traveler? Maybe you could just go back and change it. Good point. Good point. All right. Andy has a post over on Goodreads. He says, um, well, first he kind of tells us about a dream. Should I read it? Should I read? Which part should I read first? Should I read the dream first? All right. Well, yeah. Tell, tell us a little about the dream and then what his question is based on his dream. Okay. So he says, this is in Andy's voice, last night I had my first dream with these two being Tom and Veronica. No, that's not what Andy sounds like. Last night, la, 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 la. I can't find Closer. my... Um, Bye, last, night, Andy. last night, last night I had my first dream with these two in it. Nothing weird, well... I mean, there was an adventurous literary Easter egg hunt of sorts, and Tom jumped out of the jungle in a tiger costume, to which Veronica responded by pulling out a machine gun and going all shoot every leaf in the forest scene from Predator on him, but that's beside the point. It got me thinking how fun it would be to go on an adventure with our two intrepid book club hosts. They each have areas of expertise and a wealth of knowledge that could aid in almost any outlandish situation. So here's my question. If you were able to take Tom and Veronica on an adventure, think RPG, what would their roles be? What extraordinary tale would these two as your sidekicks to begin with? What would their special powers be? Their heroic one-liners? And so on and so forth. This should be fun. I think I kind of got a little baney there for a little bit. Yeah. Did you hear the yeah. Bane, like the Tom Hardy, like Bane-ness? I'm watching Peaky Blinders right now, season two, and he's in it. Oh, okay. I'm channeling a little, uh, little Tom Hardy there. Your reading was more severe. Uh, I like Michelle's. Michelle said, let's see. I go into an inn, because duh, and I spend my five copper that I just looted off a dead hedgehog on a beer. I have a rusty dagger and a backpack with one heel potion and some lame shoulder armor I found in a crate. <laughs> in the inn, there is a poster asking for adventurers to seek out the MacGuffin of wonderfulness to see the mayor. I go to the mayor's house. He's kind of fat. Tom, the Jedi Paladin, and Veronica, the Sorceress, and my rogue, haha, <laughs> just kidding, rogue, are sent off in the direction of the darkest forest of nasty darkness. <laughs> Tom can't get his magic lightsaber of holy power to work under stress. Veronica can't pronounce her spells properly. <laughs> I can't put the pointy end of my dagger into anything meaner than a hedgehog. Forest goblins attack us, kill our level one selves, and feast on our flesh. 
We go on Craigslist, buy us some level 90 badass killers, then we run around poning noobs and dancing on their graves and fishing and cooking and kissing various critters. Because WoW is great like that. That's awesome. Sorry, I had I drank my uh, my Greyhound went down wrong. It ran down my throat wrong and uh, choked me to death. Um, man, I've always thought of myself as um, as like I'm always a mage. I feel like I want to be a mage. I'm a mage in like every RPG I ever do, except right now in uh, in uh, Dragon Age Inquisition, I'm a warrior, which I never. Were do. you a mage in WoW? I was a shaman, so pretty close. Oh, Mage-ish. I was so, actually. I'm actually a mage. I'm a, a level caster. 97 mage. Are you? Are you back in WoW? I've never left. Oh wow. Okay. Well, there's that. Um, also, there's a great post also by um, there was another. Oh wait, was that the? Oh yeah, by Tazzy Tazzy Dave. Yeah, he's got the the long <laughs> post. I don't think we need to read here, but you guys should go check it out because it's pretty epic as well. Yeah. Um, and his role, role, just to say real fast, his role will be as a lovable and irreplaceable sidekick who will die at the start of book one and never be spoken of him again. Aww, That's no. Tazzy, not me. That's Tazzy. No, Tazzy should should come back as a ghost at the very least <clears throat> and follow us around giving us sage advice. I think that's a good idea. Yeah. This is fun. Fun game. Thanks, Andy. That's awesome. It really gives me an insight into my own personality. <laughs> I also kind of like the idea of um, of uh, invading people's dreams mm. and shooting shooting the place up. Night attack. Wait, that's already a show. That is always a show. All right, well, let's hop into the book discussion. And uh, first, to kick things off, though, let's talk about the uh, book poll for next month. Tom? Uh, yes. So we have a poll. I started it today. It ends on December 22nd, uh, so you don't have as long to vote as normal. Uh, sorry, I, I, I didn't get it in earlier. But we have four books in there. So this is – I'm doing a combo. I'm dictatorially picking the books just because I think they're interesting. <clears throat> I just mm -hmm. went to the to the thing we have, with the Listopia, and I just picked four books. Because we just did do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep because it was at the top. I was like, what are the other things that, you know, kind of bubbling up down at the bottom? So we got Doomsday Book by Connie Willis, Battle Royale by Kaushun Takami, The Snow Queen by Joan D. Vinge, and The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell. Wow. I mean, really, the only one I've heard of is Battle Royale. Oh, no, The Sparrow's been on our votes, like, a couple of times before. Has it? Yeah. I love the cover for The Snow Queen, but I know I shouldn't pick things based on the cover. You can judge a book by its cover, but... <laughs> should I? You shouldn't know. Is always. that what I should pick up? Um, very cool. Uh, yeah, and so, a couple uh, books by women authors, too, female authors, so that's neat. Yeah, get in there and vote. I don't know what Lady. to pick. I'm going to have to read all about them. And gentlemen. Ladies and gentlemen. We'll have a link in the show notes at swordandlaser.com. All right. So it's kind of spoiler time because we're kind of going to wrap up the Night Circus even though it's only halfway through the month. But I know a lot of you may not have finished. I'm not finished. Can, we can't wrap can, it up. You can put this off, like including Veronica. So you can put this off until the end of the, uh, in, in the, end of the month. We'll talk about We should talk about it a little more on the 5th. Uh, programming note there. Uh, instead of January 6th, our next episode will be the 5th. Uh, and, and because Veronica has to travel on the 6th. So um, you're not finished? You're not all the way finished, huh? No, it's only... No, I'm not. I have got like... I'm 94%. So you cannot spoil the ending for me. I'm sorry. I'm so too, you don't know I'm in too about... Deep. 
the ending where the things happen. Okay, no, well, I don't know about the ending where the things happen. Tell me how far, how far, what, what do you know? I just, you know? well, I basically I'm at the point, point now, this is really spoilery, this is really early in the month, so you guys no, really no, the, the, well, that's what I'm. That's why I gave that big long warning. I know, I just feel bad. Because we won't have another episode until January 6th. I feel like the people who have finished deserve a little conversation as well. Okay. Um, I'm at the point right now, towards the end, where um, they are turning everything over to Bailey. Ah, okay, good. Yeah, yeah. No, you're on the denouement almost. Yeah, so I'm almost done. I could not stay awake last night. I tried so hard to finish it in time, but I couldn't. Um, and then I was like, oh. And then it hit me, like, oh, that is he that Bailey? Like, of Ringling Brothers Barnum yeah. and Bailey? I mean, it's, or is that I just guess... supposed to be clever? I don't know yet, so don't tell me. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. <laughs> Okay, um, you've got almost all of the stuff mm -hmm. that, that, is, that makes this book good. At okay. least I think it's good. Okay. Um, you know, which is, like, you know about the, the purpose of the game and, and why the game exists and, and who wins the game. And well, I mean, do we really know why the game exists? I mean, we don't really know anything well, about the two that started honestly, the game. That's the thing. Well, okay, have you had the conversation between one of the twins and, the, and Alistair? One of the... Alistair? What's, Alistair's the guy in the gray suit. H. Oh, oh, H. Um, no, I don't think so. Okay, so then you don't know that part. Um, okay. So you will get you'll, you haven't got quite as far as I thought. Um, but yeah, you'll find that out. And but but you do what you do know is that you know you know that the game is between the girl and the boy, Celia uh, and Marco. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's and, <clears throat> and that they they were not competing against each other, and that they've totally ruined the game by falling in love. But it sounds like they're not the first people who have fallen in love doing the game before yeah, either. Yeah, but they're the first ones to hand it off without a decision, right? Mm -hmm. They're so so they're they're cheating. They're cheating the end of the game. There won't be an end to the game this time, right? Because yeah, you're right. Um, what's her name? The contortionist mm -hmm. had a had a love story, but she still finished the game. Right. Well, the other her her competitor finished the game for them. Right. By killing herself. And so this is sort of a Hunger Games ripoff. Yeah. Well, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's not. I, I I don't mean that in any way. I'm just you joking totally because because there's like a love story that subverts the main, uh, you know, the main thing. But the, this is this is much different than President Snow forcing them to kill each other. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just that. That that's the rule again. Is it that different? Is it really that different? Because yeah, because there's not a president Snow who's like trying to 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 manipulate a populace. Uh, it's basically like, well, one of them is going to die. It's it's actually more evil in a way because there's no purpose to it. It's mm -hmm. just it's just like, well, one of them's got to die so that one of us wins, and we don't really care. So don't do we find out more about do we find out more about their relationship? About, about a why, yeah, about why they're having. And, uh, yes, yeah, that's that conversation I'm talking about. You find okay. out kind of what you're going to find out. You'll find out in that. Okay. 
Um, otherwise, I've really enjoyed this book. Um, I mean, not otherwise. I just haven't finished it yet, but I assume, I hope I will also like the ending. Um, it's so visual. Like, you really get a sense of the place and how things look and how it feels. I think I talked about this on the last show, which was only a week ago, so I'm just repeating myself at this yeah. point. Um, nothing, nothing has really changed since the last time we checked in on this book for me. I like this book despite the ending, and that's not to say I don't like the ending, mm. but I don't think to me the ending matters to my enjoyment of it. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense. It's not, and I, and I'm really I I, I I rush to say it's not because I disliked the ending at all. But to me, like, not even at the point where I hadn't even got to the ending, I knew I liked the book. And I knew it didn't really matter how they ended it. It was just enjoyable. It's that kind of book where you just want to live in the circus, you know? You want to see what's around every corner. You want to see what's in the tents. Uh, And the characters are good and the plot's important and you do want to find out the end uh, because there is a little bit of a mystery to it, right? But this idea that there's this eternal circus... Uh, she really did create an amazing world and atmosphere to tell the story in. So I don't know. I don't think you've ever. <clears throat> I don't think you've ever been. Um, but have you seen Sleep No More in New York? Or are you familiar with Sleep No More? No. All right. Well, this won't make any sense to you at all. Never mind. What it's is a, it? It's a. It's it's live theater that takes place in this giant warehouse. But oh, you are almost in, went there. And then you have to decided- go. We decided it was too much walking around. We it's so much. You're running around. It's crazy. Yeah. You're like chasing after actors. You have to go. You have to go, Tom. No, we almost we you almost went when go. Eileen was out there for a month, and then we chickened out because we were lazy. Oh no! I hate you so much that you didn't go. Ah! We saw a Tom Stoppard play. It was awesome. Oh no! It had uh, Obi Wan Kenobi it's like, in it. It's like life changing. Like you have to go. It's so amazing. Anyway, this kind of felt like I kind of had the feeling. This is what happens. You go to sleep no more, and then you become like a lot of people become like crazy sleep no more people. Oh and yeah. Exactly like the the, the how do you say reviewers. Um, so you know what to do, and you know all the places where you have to be to see this certain part, and you want to chase around the certain actors and like see what they do, and you can I don't know. So that, there's a really cool like acknowledgement of fan culture starting to happen in books too. Uh, which I think is because we're having more people who grow up in fan culture, they're, they're, it's natural for them to want to include it in their stories. And mm-hmm. I really like what she did with the reverse is she made a period appropriate. It wasn't like, wait, those are like comic book fans, but she stuck them in the Victorian times. It made sense, right? It yeah. was very elegant and it very fit the story, but it was still that same thing of like, we're following them around and we want to, you know, we love the circus. They're fanboys. Yeah. They're Victorian era And they had an, an analog of a blog with uh, Friedrich Thiessen's Aww. write-ups in the magazines. I was so sad for Friedrich. I know, right? What the heck? He didn't do anything except so love the circus. I know. And made a great clock. He made the amazing clock. And like, he, he was even part of the circus. He just loved it. it yeah. made me sad. I don't know. I also like necessary. how Aaron Morgenstern uh, played that edge of fantasy really well where everything that's in the circus could almost be described by physics and science and reality, mm-hmm. but had just enough of something else in it that you're like, but how would that would be really difficult to do in reality? You well, know? that's the thing. So I, I tried to explain this book to Ryan, to my husband, and I was like, yeah, so they're both magicians, and they work at the circus, and nobody really knows there, or at least knows Celia as a real magician because she just makes it just unbelievable enough. You could be like, oh, there must be a there must be a good excuse. There must be a way that she's doing this using trickery. And he's like, 
if you were a real magician, why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just be like, holy crap, I'm a magician. Look at this <laughs> stuff. I'm making things appear from nowhere. Like, wow. Oh, my God, there's a real magician at this circus. You've got to see him. You know, like, why would they just not do that? Well, because you don't want to get, I don't know, you don't, you don't want all, you don't, that's too much attention, I guess. It's too a good question, attention. though. It's a great, yeah. great question. Like, like I, I feel like there is a reason to be like, no, that would cause the wrong kind of people to start paying attention to you. And even if you're a magician, you're not all powerful. You're not omnipotent, you know, so you might invite trouble that way. She seems kind know. of omnipotent at this point. She's so powerful. Yeah, but she can't stop, you know, that's the problem is she's not all-powerful or she could stop the game. Mm, that's true. That's true. And I don't know yet if she has or has not. Mm. Mm. I guess we'll wait until January 5th to find I out. I guess we'll never know. All right, well. Yeah, you will. You'll finish the book and then you'll know. I really, I've really enjoyed it so far, so I'll, I'll probably finish it up tonight. Um, and uh, then we can talk about it more in the next episode. Excellent. All right. Well, I think that about wraps things up. Anything you need to add before we go dark? Uh, no, just thanks, everybody, for a great year. We've really uh, enjoyed doing the show, and uh, thank you for making the transition to Patreon so amazing. If you want to get in touch with us, our email address is feedback at swordandlaser.com. Our website is swordandlaser.com. All of our discussions happen over on goodreads.com. And if you want to call and leave us a voicemail, the phone number is 415-7-SWORD-6. We'll see you guys next year. Adios. Audio program so good, it's like you're there!